0: Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger.
1: Okay, which one of you is fighting Jake Paul? I'm not doing it.
0: I'm I so out of shape. It. I wouldn't even last 10 seconds in the in a ring. Like my, I'd be out of breath. Yeah, so I have...
2: A friend who's an MMA trainer, specifically in jiu-jitsu in Montreal, who I visit like every three years. So I've trained with him exactly twice. Uh, both times, it was him rolling around, kicking my ass, making me look like a four-year-old the entire time. That's probably more uh, proper training than Jake Paul's had. So uh, I like my chances. I don't know, man. I think he's... he's
1: the guy... I don't know. I, I don't know what money he has. YouTube money, I'm assuming. But I'm just- I'm sure
2: he's trained properly. Oh, no. Yeah, obviously. I'm being facetious because Jake Paul's an asshole, and I just want (laughs) to imply that as many times as I can every chance I get. All right. You heard it, folks. At Brad Crisco challenges Jake Paul to a fight. $5 pay-per-view. Catch it on YouTube.com slash (laughs) podcast. Honestly, even if he knocks me out in under 30 seconds, but I land one solid punch, it's worth it. I always thought it would be, uh, uh, Evan to be the,
1: like the high profile fighter to come out of this group. But I think COVID has really taken hold with Evan and I, and we've just become like the ultimate sloths, but you've been forced as a father and someone working uh, directly with the public, Brad, to just kind of stay in shape and stay active. So you're repping us, man. As long as you will, we'll get you like a wing wheel podcast, boxing shorts or better yet. You go, you go shirtless, obviously boxing, but you have to tattoo the logo on your chest.
2: You assume I don't already have one. That's adorable.
1: Yeah, that's fair. Oh, man. This episode of the podcast uh, is actually a really fun one. Uh, We have an interview today with Daryl Belfry. um, And this is one that we were looking forward to, but still talking to just talking hockey with Daryl today was just a blast. Um, And (laughs) it's usually uh, Brad and I, or all three of us, doing an interview. Very rarely is it uh, myself and Evan um brad just it just didn't line up with your schedule today and i cannot think of an interview that was worse for brad to miss than this
0: one that's what i was thinking too and i was gonna make fun of him dope in this episode but uh that would just be mean it was exactly the type of interview brad could have just kept that going for days
2: you have no idea how rattled i am if it was a half hour later i could have been at work just a half hour that's all i needed Time is well, everything in life, though. That's I know. I don't have any. That's the problem, Evan. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's that
1: giant stash weighing you down, Brad. The wind resistance that you must not get anywhere on time right now.
2: Oh, I know. It's it's amazingly bad is the best way to describe it right now. Is that leaving on December 1st? Yep. No, Crystal wouldn't give me a choice on that one, even if I wanted to. <laughs>
0: she uh, said it's also, all or
2: nothing full beard or nothing she does not like anything <laughs> in between
1: <laughs> uh also worth noting uh happy belated uh thanksgiving to um the majority of our listeners i know up here we called it thursday but uh you know as a canadian we say this every year i love having our thanksgiving and then american thanksgiving because they do it like they have football
0: um, they get like every- six days off work on either side of the weekend
1: yeah So, thank you, and I hope everyone had a good and safe uh, Thanksgiving and had a lot of good food.
2: Well, people Um, from Detroit had an extra special Thanksgiving.
1: Oh, they did. They had a very good Thanksgiving. That's right. Deshaun Watson gave them the gift that they didn't know they would be getting from him, which is an absolute dismantling. Uh, The Houston Texans (laughs) massacred the Lions, and then that was the straw that broke uh, the Fords is back, and um, the Lions fired both uh, Bob Quinn and Matt
2: Patricia. My favorite thing that came out of all this is the one guy on Twitter that called Matt pa- Matt Patricia a pa- a pretentious asshole for having a pencil in his ear while he's holding a laminated piece of paper for his <laughs> <laughs> look. It just goes to show how much
1: guesswork goes into this stuff. Like, I- admittedly, like football isn't. I am not to football what I am to hockey. Like, football, I'll follow. And, and I know relatively well as a
2: above-average totally casual, casual. Fan.
1: Yeah. Uh, I was excited when Patricia came on board. I don't know. I looked back at, like, what I commented on social media and stuff. I was like, I remember being happy about this. And I obviously could not have been more wrong. And same with a lot of Lions fans. So, like, what am I supposed to know here? But thank goodness because that was just a terrible, terrible era. One of the statistically worst – Lions coaches in history which is saying so much uh
2: <laughs> defensive specialist coach comes to the city of Detroit and the team implodes defensively thank God that was a one-off and we've never seen that before one of my favorite comments was all right
1: see you guys uh back here in three years because like <laughs> any any true honest Lions fan would be saying that. They're happy because the bad people have left who have just completely screwed up time and time again with more chances than they deserved. But there is literally zero hope left within the Lions organization and its fan base that this will be any better than next go around. It's just the short-term satisfaction before returning to the pain that we know and love. I would love to say that things are going to change. And if they are, I wouldn't know it because I have no feeling in that part of my heart anymore. So... I'll have hope for the Red Wings always. I'll have hope for the Tigers even. I, I, I'm I'm sure I'll get to watch them win the World Series one day. Lions, if I had to put money down, I'm not watching them win a Super Bowl before I die. Although that might be in short order because of the Detroit Lions. So who knows? Could be worse. I've seen the Bills play in four Super Bowls. <laughs> yeah i'll never be that bad <laughs> that's, that's a good part about sucking this hard we never have to worry about that streak <laughs> oh man back to hockey on this episode of the podcast we are going to be just shooting the breeze a little bit about um goings on in uh, europe between our beloved phillips uh, playing overseas and then uh talking a little bit about uh salary cap strap teams and some movement there before jumping into our interview with daryl belfry uh one of the leading experts and and hockey coaching and development um off fight or sorry coaching as in a uh, um non-head coach uh he's worked with people like Patrick Kane Sidney Crosby Austin Matthews Dylan Larkin obviously so this guy's the best of the best and we had a phenomenal interview with him today so really excited for all of you listeners and Brad to hear that um but first um let's talk a little bit about actually uh we had a little fill up on Philip action today with uh, Zadina doing that sweet you know ad hoc stop move on none other than philip horonic
2: to bury the goal that was a that was a sick move when i first saw the goal i was unaware that it was horonic that he dummied on the cutback and the release and i was like oh that's amazing and then i think it was actually you who pointed out that it was horonic and i'm like well now i'm conflicted
1: <laughs> i looked at the i saw it like we said those Gifts are always so fuzzy. And I was like, I think
2: that's Philip Horonic.
1: And then I looked around and I couldn't find it anywhere. And it was someone posted on Reddit. They're like, Oh yeah, that was Horonic, by the way. I was like, yeah, it is Horonic. Oops. Um, yeah, we tweeted about it and actually Zadina replied to us and was like, no, no, Horonic's going to be a legend in the NHL. It was just a lucky play, which like the obvious answer here is that they're both going to be legends in the NHL. Um, but it's just fun. I can't wait. It just made me miss Red Wings hockey, man. I can't wait till we have both Phillips back on the same team and just tearing up the NHL.
2: But only one of them became our best friend today.
1: That's true. That's true. That's all it takes to to be
2: one of my best friends is just comment on uh, Twitter. Reply to one of our tweets.
1: Brad, then you have a lot of best friends.
2: I know. I'm popular. The worst is
0: when you get trapped or tagged in a Brad conversation that 17 other people are having. And then your your mentions just go off the rails. Oh, yeah. Earlier this week and i was like when do i get out of this nightmare
2: uh the mute con- mute this conversation button is the most used button i have on twitter even more so than send tweet <laughs>
1: <laughs> there have been times where it's always, they always jump on you brad um I almost never mute something that I said because if I've put something out into the world, I'm like, I feel like it's my duty to own this and just kind of follow the conversation. But it's always something that you said where people just absolutely pile onto you for it. And it's almost always led by Rowan, which is – you can count on that. And it's never
2: about what the original tweet was about. Of course not. No. (laughs) Like I could say, oh, what an amazingly deft move by X and Y player on this play. Oh yeah, and then there's going to be a picture of a Darren Helm with the C on his jersey, the like 15-year-old picture of me in a Dallas Stars jersey, and then <laughs> <laughs> and then some random YouTube link to something I dare not click, and then that's the next 30 tweets in loop. Like it's <laughs> clockwork. Like as soon as I see those three things covered, I just mute the conversation because I don't feel like going through them each 9 oh, times. Man. Uh, I realized I lied to you just now where I said I, I, I
1: don't mute my own tweets. Uh, I do when I make the stupid mistake. And this is just fully on me. Like, no one is to blame here but me. But will that stop me from whining? No. Have you met me? Uh, if I make the slightest joke at Jeff Blashill's expense or in favor of him. It is absolute pandemonium. People crawl out of the woodwork. Like the Detroit sports fan base is just ready to punch the air in front of them, whether they are pro Blast Hill, anti Blast Hill, or just down the middle. And I'm like, I read these two hours later and I'm like, yo, I was half in the bag when I sent that tweet. I don't even remember what it said. I promise you, it's not that serious. But I can't, like, I can't ever get away from it. It's my own fault. I've made the same mistake like 45 times. I just need to say to people, Nothing has changed about Jeff Blashill. We talked about it before. Here's the, here's the TLDR on Jeff Blashill. Whether you liked him or not, he's here to stay for the next season. Uh, yes, this team is better now than what he had in the past. So is this his first real test in a long time? Absolutely. How will it turn out? Who friggin knows? He has to do better than 17 wins this season. Will we know until then? No. There's a pandemic. There's no hockey being played right now. We'll let you know at the end of the 2021 season. Until then, we're just going to meme about Jeff Blashill. I'm sorry if it offends you or if you love it too much. I don't really know. But holy shit, people get up in arms. It feels like the Alexi Marchenko conversation happening all <laughs> over again.
2: Oh, I, I that that's not a problem limited to just you, Ryan. If you mention – just type the word Blashill on Twitter – it doesn't matter the context you're getting flamed. So you could be sitting at your computer. I hope Jeff Blashill and his family have a nice Thanksgiving. What Sensu- did you, say to me,
1: you <laughs> son of a bitch!
2: Scroll down to like two comments. <laughs> How dare you? It's
0: like someone just drove their car into a ditch or into traffic because of both of you. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
1: oh, I- I'll let our, our, uh, I'll, I'll do, I'll fix that in post maybe, or if I haven't, I apologize. Um, send the bill to Evan Lobsinger located in Kitchener, Ontario. (laughs) Oh man. Yeah. The Matt Patricia conversation was surrounding that and (sighs) (laughs) <laughs> I made the stupid mistake of saying, Oh yeah, which coach are they gonna fire first? There's the bet it wasn't a, it wasn't even funny. It wasn't even a funny comment that I made. Fifty-five compar hey, not fair. This is not a fair comparison, not fair. I was like, Yeah, I know, man. Just please leave me alone. I'm not important. <laughs> You're not but allowed like- to be funny on Twitter, Ryan. You know the rules. But I the thing is I'm not. I, I'm almost always not. I've tried to be funny and then watching those jokes completely fall flat is way too much for my narcissistic mind. So I was
2: just like, I'm not gonna try to be funny anymore. I'll tweet so- stats. So something unfortunate happened to me at work um, that, that I'm not even going to say gave me a realization. They pointed out the realization to me. Um, so a lot of my employees found my Twitter account. Um, to which everything was pointed out. And they said in the off season, my Twitter account is a very happy, informative place. When the Red Wing season starts, they think I am a deeply disturbed individual with anger issues. And I'm like, "Well, yeah, oh, you've seen the team, right?" <laughs> like <laughs> So they did find your actual Twitter account then. Yeah, oh yeah, legitimately and they I everything was critiqued. It was uh it was a day. You got to own it. Oh, yeah, I didn't deny anything. They're like, you, are you all right, man? And I'm like, no, of course I'm not. Why do you ask that? You know I'm not. I have to deal with you idiots all day, and then I have to go home and deal with the Red Wings. Yeah, no, I'm not okay. Uh, speaking of reasons Brad's not all right,
1: um, some small moves that happened in the NHL. Um, we've talked about teams that are cash-strapped or, or cap-strapped, and, and they're in bad situations with uh, their salaries and they're going to need to move. Uh, bad contracts and give up assets and the Red Wings are a prime candidate to capitalize on that those two teams two of them are the Islanders and the Lightning two of the foremost and you know we've talked a lot about why that is um, Johnny Boychuk retired due to injury to his eye and uh, Mikhail Sergachev signed a very team-friendly three-year 4.8 million dollar per year contract uh, for his next RFA deal so does it completely solve both teams problems no does it Really help them in a massive, massive way that seems almost like it's bullshit. Yeah, absolutely.
2: I'm fully sure Johnny Boychuk's actually injured. And I'm fully sure this was the right decision for him and his health and his family and his future. But because it's Lou Lamorello... I can't shake the, oh yeah, the hawks are in cap hell and all of a sudden Marion host is allergic to his equipment. like I get that vibe from it, which also was legitimate, but it just it seemed wonky. It's just, it felt convenient, didn't it? And I'm sure it's legitimate and there's no funny business. And I get that, but God, I can't shake it. And I know I'm a terrible person for that.
0: Well, yeah, I didn't really think much of it either. And I you know, timing is everything, and it was a very convenient time. But I saw a quote somewhere where Johnny Boychuk was saying, "You know, he feels a hundred percent; like the eye's good, uh, he's going to be ready to play." So when I saw that he retired, I was a little because of it or LTIRD. I was a little bit confused because which is it? Is it you're a hundred percent and you're going to play in the playoffs, or? It's not a hundred percent, and now you're retiring. I guess you know it can be both, certainly. Um But yeah, once again, I was got my tinfoil hat on there, and, <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, this is very convenient." Because Lou Lamorello,
1: sorry, Lou Lamorello, dressed in his uh, stealth turtleneck and poked Johnny Boychuk's eye in the off season,
0: made it
2: worse. <laughs> was it was it black or a slightly darker black? <laughs> I'm glad you got the the reference. <laughs> Anyways. Um, because I'm convinced Lou Lamorello listens to the Winged Wheel podcast. Because I don't think it was more than a couple of weeks ago where I said I've changed my mind, and the number one target the Red Wings should have for a a cap dump is Johnny Boychuk. And then two weeks later, he's retired. LTI retired. It's
0: Brad's fault. Everyone tweet at him and make sure to only tag Ryan. No. <laughs> no. Hey, well, uh, hold on
1: now. I was about to jump on this with you, man. Come on, we have a system.
0: <laughs>
1: and, uh, you know, moving into the world of realism here, Tampa Bay, of course, had got a great deal for Mikhail Sergachev. But the reality is uh, that they are still almost $2 million over the salary cap with um, Anthony Sorelli. Um and Eric Chernak still to sign. I always accidentally say Cherelli and Cernak. Is it what I can't remember which one it is? Surelli.
2: Sorelli. Chernak. Chernak.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um <laughs> both of those guys are not going to be, you know, devastatingly cheap contracts. And so um Tampa has to take a look at guys that are extendable or, or expendable or movable. Um, Andre Palat, Yanni Gord, and Tyler Johnson are three players who have been highlighted. Um, I'm going to butcher this name and I'm really sorry. Uh, writer for The Athletic, Eric Duhatschik. Eric um, Duhatschik hat okay um he talked about you know what it might cost to move or or fix the salary con- or uh, the salary situation and move a couple players to Detroit um and he called it i think pretty fairly to say that the price to take on you know a Tyler Johnson and a Kalorn contract um would be to give up a first round pick and a quality young player like Chernak
2: um
1: that's and he co- also s- Yeah. He also said Tampa's not
2: likely to want to pay that price. That's what got me off guard is that there, he was floating the idea of moving two to one team, one deal, two contracts in one shot, which I don't think I ever considered from a Red Wings standpoint. Again, there's a number of teams to that could do this. So obviously we talk specifically about the Red Wings, but just understand that in the context of this conversation this could apply to five or six other teams because you know the kings the red wings the predators the devils all have cap space they could all theoretically do this but we're going to assume the red wings are the ones doing it so sergachev got a great deal but it wasn't like a lot of people are saying, oh, what a sweetheart deal for Tampa. I mean, Tr- Sergachev signed for almost exactly what McAvoy and Worensky signed. Three years just under five million dollars. It's it wasn't that shocking to see that was his number. Um that leaves them, you said, $2 million over the cap with Chernak and Sorelli still to sign. I don't think Chernak's going to cost more than $3 million on a bridge deal, as good as he is. And I don't think Sorelli's going to get much more, if any more, than Sergeyev did. So they could come in pretty comfortably on a couple of bridge deals, around $7 million, which doesn't solve their problem, but it kicks the can down the road for a couple of years because... You know Tyler Johnson, Yanni Gord, Alex Collins contracts won't be up by the end of the bridge deal. But if you're only seven million, if you sign those two for seven million, and you have two million in cap space for rough math, you only need to move one of the five million dollar contracts, not two. Now, obviously, if they can't get those guys to those prices, that's gonna change things. But I thought of, I personally thought of the three players, Sergeyev would demand the highest contract, so. Um, I can't see them getting much more than that. That being said, I don't know if I was the Red Wings if I'd want to take on two, no matter what the sweetener is, because I don't want 10 million on my cap for the next four years. Like, honestly, that's, that's the reality of it. No matter what the sweeteners are, if they're giving us a first round pick and Chernak, that's not worth it to me for 10 million of cap space over three or four years. I'm sorry, it isn't. I know Red Wings fans are frothing at the mouth for a return like that, but I think uh, I would rather do, you know, pick number 32 straight up for one of them than have a kicker or Eric Chernak straight up for one of them versus, um, you know, but both of them. And when you look at where the Red Wings are as a team, I think there's a reality. They're in the playoffs in three years, not the strongest reality in the world, but it's not crazy. I, I would almost say likely you don't want 10 mil of dead cap on your on your books at that point. And even if Kalorn, I'm using Kalorn and Johnson as examples, because they're the two most likely, even if Kalorn and Johnson are still usable players at that point, I I'd be shocked if they're worth anywhere near 10 million combined. So the red wings have to factor that in. Could they eat one of them and still be a contender? Absolutely. If you have to buy out a Tyler Johnson with one year left, sure yeah it's not the end of the world and then you can still be you can still compete that year so unless the package they get for two bad contracts is otherworldly i don't know if i'd be considering it if i was eiserman or any gm for that matter and that's funny because you know the
1: reference here is that tr- tampa bay wouldn't even want to pay that price so it's a little bit of uh, just figuring out what magic is going to move down the pipeline be- or, or come in the future because yeah you make a good point taking on two bad contracts is no small ask and having a first round pick come from you know likely the best team in the league is also not as valuable as
2: a first round pick that comes like mid-round right so because you got to think if tampa wins the cup again which i would still argue they're the favorites um four years ago their first round pick would be considered a second round pick yeah
1: well, fun, two fun realizations uh, that just came up. Uh, one, Sam Stang scored a goal and that the other team um, mostly scored on themselves. And two, um, everyone who watches on YouTube who likes to see our faces blame Evan because we are uh, we had a little technical glitch that is entirely the fault of him and his computer. So please send all complaints to at HockeyTownEvan on Twitter. Um, his fault. His fault completely.
0: Yep. That is, I own this one. No, well, it's not as fun
1: as if you own it. Um, yeah, so back to Tampa Bay. I don't know. It's easy to be biased one way or the other. I don't think Tampa Bay is likely to to try to move both, uh, you know, Johnson and someone like Killorn, um and then move a, a Chernock to try to sweeten the deal in a first. Like it seems like quite a bit, but at the same time, Tampa Bay does have to do something. It seems like dominoes are still falling into place that people weren't anticipating and who knows what's going to come about with the league and the rules for next season. Like Salary cap relief is probably not going to be a thing um, in a very overt way, but at the same time, I don't know, maybe they have a Johnny Boychuk retire. Maybe Johnny Boychuk retires for Tampa Bay. It's really hard to predict this stuff and so um, it's a a situation we're going to have to keep looking at. Detroit is one of a few players who are in on this, so um, definitely worth keeping our eyes on, but yeah i don't know having that circus have come in on a pretty decent deal and having Boychuk retire my feelings on all this is someone please just offer sheet someone and nhl this is this is all the influence you need to change the offer sheet rules because holy hell is this boring
2: yeah if nobody's offer sheeting anthony sorelli right now nobody's ever gonna offer sheet anybody ever not in any, not in like the Montreal Canadiens. Hey, we, uh, Sebastian, uh, we offer you to Sebastian Ajo to something Carolina could easily and comfortably match. Yeah. And on that note,
1: let's actually jump over to our interview here with, uh, Daryl Belfry of Belfry Hockey. Again, this was a really fun one. Um, just kind of just talking hockey with someone hockey tactics developing the most elite players in the world from crosby to larkin to mckinnon to matthews to kane um it was really cool to get get that insight and see what this side of pro hockey development looks like so uh again daryl belfry of belfry hockey tune into our interview with him and enjoy Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcasts interview with none other than Daryl Belfry of Belfry Hockey. Uh, Daryl is one of the foremost, um, hockey development coaches, uh, in the world, working with the biggest names in the sport. Daryl, thank you so much for joining us today.
3: Ah, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm really looking forward to it.
1: Yeah. And, and this is an exciting, um, topic for us. We've had a lot of discussion about, you know, hockey development and hockey tactics and, uh, you know, we might be pros at the beer league level, but we're bringing in the big guns for this one. So we're going to try to keep up with you. But um, first, Daryl, talk to us a little bit about Belfry Hockey and, and the book that you just put out.
3: Yeah. So Belfry Hockey is um, basically an NHL player development consulting company that um, works with NHL players to improve their game. They're usually coming for one of, a few different reasons um, to try to, you know, add different components or even just analyze their game to get an idea of the types of ways in which they can grow. So um, that's pretty much what it is. And then Belfry Hockey, the book is me explaining my path of how I kind of learned to do what I do and the different mistakes and things that I've uncovered that, have helped me along the way as I've gradually through the process started working with better and better players. So the book kind of just takes you through that process and then, um, gives you some insight on, you know, what it's like, uh, to train those players, what's really important. And then there's a lot to do with just general teaching. And, uh, cause I believe for first and foremost, I'm a teacher. And hockey just happens to be the thing that I teach. But that's, I think, been my been my big edge all this time. And so it's it's largely about how to teach anybody. But, you know, elite people in general um, is is what I delve into the most.
1: So some of those names that Daryl's referring to here, Patrick Kane, Nathan McKinnon, Matthew Barzell, uh, Claude Giroux, and then uh, none other than Dylan Larkin. So when he talks about elite people, he means elite people. And of course, sorry, Sidney Crosby's on that list. I don't know how I didn't mention Sid. Um, so Daryl, I, I know you're gonna hate this question, or, or it's not fair for me to ask, but uh, without talking too much about, uh, or summarizing the entire book, tell us a little bit about that path, how you got your start, um, and then how you ended up working with with the Sydney Crosbys of the World
3: So how I got my start was uh, I didn't start playing until I was very late in my in very late relative to every other kid's terms, like most kids start when they're four or five, and I didn't start really until I was twelve. so obviously, the end of the road came pretty quick, and so I was left with a lot of passion towards the game and no real outlet to competitively go after it, so I, I decided I want to coach. So once I got into coaching, then I realized very quickly that there's a big difference between coaching and teaching, and that I fit much better on the teaching side. Teaching is much more individual, it's very personal, and coaching is much more group. So for me, I was much better um, on the personal side. So as the years went along, I gravitated much more towards teaching situations and started leaving more of the group dynamics behind and uh, as I was doing that, the players who i were who I was coaching, which many of them were you know eight, nine years old at the time and then well, as I was transitioning out of the whole group thing and into the individual thing, well, it just so happened that they were now going into the o h l and going to college and ultimately getting themselves in the n h l and how I got to work with, you know, some of the best players in the game is because I had a couple of clients that were elite players coming through. And then I met their agents and then all of a sudden it was like, hey, could you work with this guy or, you know, there's different conversations come about. And the next thing you know, you get these opportunities because of the legwork that you had done beforehand. So it was like pretty much about a 12 year vacuum of nothing going on of me just kind of trying to make myself as good as i could and then all of a sudden thrust into yeah you're on an airplane going to new york and you're going to work with Sidney crosby so good luck so that's kind of how that went
0: yeah that was one thing i I wanted to ask you about is now that you have this established base of of high level nhl players how do you go forward in, in picking your clientele like Um, you know not only other NHL players but you know you know high highly touted young kids who are 12 13 years old like how does that come about for you now
3: now I don't I don't work with too I mean I don't work with too many kids anymore Um, I have my own kid who I'm deeply focused on of course Uh, so she's probably the, the youngest that I that I work with and then as it relates to picking the NHL players, like I don't really pick them anymore. They pick me. And so it's, it's more of a fit because it's so personal and the players needs are so specified or so specific at that, at that level. They just, oftentimes it's a question. Like they're off, they're asking questions regarding their game areas of opportunity. And they're, they They want someone to research or hunt down what those opportunities are. So I will do that and then present my case. And then if it's a fit, then we we spend some time together. And then if it's a really good fit, we could spend 10 years together. A lot of my clients are long, long time clients. Like I I usually when I get one, I usually am with them for a long time.
0: So let's hypothetically say I'm in the NHL and I'm looking to you know improve my game in certain aspects, and I want you to be my my instructor. Um, what would be sort of the first steps in in building this process that you would go through with me?
3: Uh, so we'd have a conversation. Uh, you would present your your questions of you know your own perspective, things that excite you, things that frustrate you, things that. You know, you feel like there's areas of opportunity for you in your own game. And then I will, I will then research anywhere between five to 10 games to come up with, um, my own ideas on, on that. But I'm going to do it from much more of a research based perspective. So I'm going to come back with some numbers and I'm going to come back with some, uh, some video to back up those numbers, uh, to then, Start either proving your case that you came to me with or coming up with other ideas that are in that same vein, but represent maybe different slants on it that we could create as talking points. Then we review it together and take a look at what those areas are and then arrive at a consensus between the two of us as to what direction we'd like to go in. And that's how it is. It's a very collaborative environment. It's very it's not at all. um, Hey, Daryl, you know, can you go like show me the way and then I'll just follow you. It's really not like that. It's I have some ideas. I need someone to verify that these ideas are the right ideas for me because i don't have a lot of time to waste but i do have these questions can you go chase that down and then if you have any other ideas to support this or move it forward i'd like to hear those too and then let's have a talking point ultimately um it's their game not mine and so they have to be very comfortable with the direction that we're going and then when once we arrive at the consensus Now they're all in, they're excited about what we're doing, and now the results are going to come very quickly.
1: So Red Wings fans have obviously been excited about Dylan Larkin from the moment he was drafted, and and there really hasn't been a point in his career where um, since he was drafted where he wasn't projecting to be even better every day. Uh, But still a lot of fans and including us are kind of surprised that Dylan has embraced this role as a number one center um, in the NHL on his team. Um, What was it like working with Dylan? And did you always know that he's had this capacity in him?
3: Yeah. I mean, Dylan's a, I mean, he's a stud. I mean, he's got every, Every uh, capacity that you would want in an elite player, and when I say capacity, I mean he has leverageable strengths. Like his skating is all world; he's one of the top skaters in the league. He can move laterally at that speed. He's got great hands at that speed. He can think at that speed and make plays. He can see the ice. He can make plays to people behind him. He can shoot. I mean, he can use all four other people on the ice. He can find them even when they're not in the screen. He can play down low. He can play off the rush. Uh, He doesn't, he's not afraid to go into tough areas. So he has all these assets. There's all these assets and things that he can do. The real thing then becomes how can he leverage those most consistently and what are the consistent Pathways in which he's going to be able to generate on a night to night basis. And when you're young, you have all these assets, but you don't necessarily have habits. And so the idea is to connect your assets to your habits. Because the best players in the world, they do the same things over and over and over and over again to get themselves into certain positions in which they have options. Now, how they execute the options. Well, that's different every time, but getting into those positions, they do it very similarly every night, which gives them the benefit of expectation. Now Dylan is moving into a stage in his career where he could benefit tremendously by having much more of an expectation going into every game and know, Hey, like I'm going to get six opportunities off the rush. And I'm probably going to get, you know, four or five chances on the power play in these, in this spot. And I'm probably going to get two or three situations in which I'm going to have a chance to walk up the wall and be able to make plays coming from low to high. So I know that's my basic. I know that's going to happen every night. Now, once you have that and you know that that's the case, well that's empowering because now you have the expectation. So if the first one doesn't go well, you know, another one's coming where a lot of other players they don't have that benefit of expectation. So when the first one doesn't go well, they don't re- they don't know that another one is coming soon thereafter, and so it's difficult for them mentally to be as prepared for those opportunities as they come along. And that's part of the maturation process of what you're talking about in a kid like Dylan Larkin who's an emerging like top echelon NHL player.
1: Now, that's really interesting what you talked about, which was essentially leveraging your raw tools or abilities and making them into habits. We've been talking a lot in the hockey sphere about hockey IQ over the past few years, and it's really emerged as one of the foremost things that people look for, especially in prospects. Uh, Is that a school of thought um, that you kind of subscribe to? And do you find that players who have that kind of natural ability to think the game? Do they develop those connections much better?
3: Well, hockey sense is, and hockey IQ is, uh, it's, it's like different things for different people. Like you talk to 10 people about what it actually is, they'll give you 10 different definitions of what it actually is. And each player kind of mani- uh, manifests it a little bit differently. So some people have excellent IQ as it relates to use of space. So they just feel the space closing or expanding around them. And they just have a sense of where there's pockets and they can move themselves into those pockets at the right time. That's elite IQ. Other people don't have that necessarily that part of it, but they see things. So they don't feel space closing as much as they see lanes. So they see passing lanes and they can see through pressure They can see both pressure and they can see, uh, support. They can see them both. Where people with lower levels of IQ, they see one or the other. They know where their, they know where their people are that are going to help them, but they don't know where the pressure is. Or they know where the pressure is, but they don't, they can't see where the support is. So the people that have that level of IQ, they have now ability to see. Other people, their hockey sense, is they're much better in tighter spaces. So they like it when people are on them and they have a feel for being able to roll and and be able to shield the puck and make plays under high amounts of pressure. So they can play one-on-two very effectively. Other people, they see things three, four, five steps ahead. So like they're going to move somewhere on the ice and you would say like, where the hell are they going? And then all of a sudden the puck goes there. So they have this like forethought. They can read patterns of play. So which IQ do you want to talk about? Do you know what I mean? Like there's, there's lots of ways in which this, this thing manifests itself, which is why it's a little elusive. And so sometimes you get kids, for example, young kids, they come up, oh my God, this kid's unbelievable. He's got unbelievable hockey sense and IQ. And the truth of the matter is he's really just leveraging his own physical strengths. So he's physically much better. He could be just faster or he's bigger or he's stronger, but doesn't necessarily read space. Well, he just physically can go there. So it doesn't, it's not really a read as much as it's a bullying of a, of a space. And now he moves up a level and you can't bully that space. So now your hockey IQ drops. No, it, you didn't have it necessarily leverageable in the first place. It was elite for 12 years, 14 or 16 years old, but now in the OHL or in college or pro, all of a sudden it's not. So that's why it's an elusive term that I think gets thrown around because it's a beautiful blanket. But I have a lot of questions as it relates to how effectively we talk about it and use it and how many people actually have it at an elite world class level, I think it's a lot lower than what we give credit to.
0: Yeah, one one thing I, w- I was really curious to ask you was, um, what are what sort of issues or problems or questions are the the older players coming to you that they have? Like, is there is there a similar theme that they would have? And then conversely, um, what sort of questions, problems, issues are sort of the younger players who are or, you know maybe. Establishing themselves in the in the league, like what kind of questions did they come uh, and ask you about?
3: Well, like older players are often looking for guidance as it relates to rule changes. So when they first came in the league and their prime of their career, they were a certain type of player, largely offensive, very dynamic, played in the top six on the power play. Play with good players, and then and then now as time goes on, of course these younger players are coming in. They're a little bit more diverse in, cer- in terms of their capacity because they have less miles on the body. They haven't had the same injuries and all that other stuff that plagues older players, and the and the long playoff runs, the grind, the low, the short uh, off seasons, all the things that contribute to make a you know listen when I was 30 I didn't really feel that old but all of a sudden the guy in the NHL is 30 like he's over the hill like it's it's he's done and so it's amazing how the use of the body and how how hard it is to gain make gains year after year after a certain period of time because there just isn't enough time there's one season kind of rolls into the next so What ends up happening is these older players, they get kind of shuffled a little bit and relocated on their teams. And so they're still looking to find a way to stay relevant. And what assets can they still use and not totally abandon what they are really good at to still fill a role in the NHL? And that's a really fascinating discovery process to see how they like how they think how they feel where they're where they feel their assets are um and it's much harder if skating was not a major asset for them to begin with that makes it a little bit more challenging because every year that goes by the game goes faster and faster and faster so you can inherently get left behind a little bit that way especially if you haven't had the ability to train in the off season. now a younger player their questions are much more is what I've done to this point going to be good enough? Like I've been living large and I've been the best player and every, the red carpets rolled out for me everywhere I go because I'm a certain type of player. Now, when I reach the NHL, like, am I going to still be able to do that? Like, is that still something that I'm going to be able to still assert? And if it's not, what do I need to do to make it NHL quality that I can still do it there? Or how do I adapt those skills to make sure that I can hold some of them to find my footing? That's really what that is.
1: Now, there's um, there's a question here from one of our co-hosts who's not on uh, this call, but he wanted to pass along uh, and take, get your take on using um, what Adam Oates calls toys, but skills tools on the ice with players. Um, some people subscribe to a more old school philosophy of uh, only doing gameplay scenarios while others like to use a mix or, or use those kind of physical tools on the ice. Uh, where do you fall with your methodology?
3: I'm probably a lot closer i I don't know what Adam said about it, but I would imagine that he's he's advocating for people not to use them at all or something there along like along those lines and I would probably fall closer to that um i I don't use any tools on the ice at all i I haven't for a long long time. I think that the big apprehension I have for it is that there needs to be multiple interactions with a skill in order for you to properly process it and translate it. And so if your only interaction with the way in which you're acquiring the skill is with an apparatus, then the apparatus, of course, doesn't move. So it's not providing you with any feedback or any teaching uh, differences or variations. And so that's where the difficulty comes for me. I just think there's other ways to do it that's going to make it the the development way faster. I'm not saying it's wrong. I think it's an unbelievable business model, but I don't know if it has the player development um the player development assets or advantages that it gets it gets uh it gets purported that it that it can do i just don't i don't see that I don't subscribe to that. I'm more on the side of changing environments. I don't I'm not all I'm not on on the side though of you know doing more like you know scrimmage play and build that 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 the game is gonna teach you. I don't subscribe to that either. I think that I'm I'm more of a believer that you need multiple variations of of an interaction with a skill that starts very intentional and then becomes a read and then becomes an option. And I think you have to move skills kind of through those three stages. And so of course, if you, if you only use these apparatuses and that's what you do or these, any, any type of like training tool, it has such a very limited thing that could give you benefit. So the longer you're in it, the less likely you're moving the skill through the stages that are going to give you uh, an opportunity to actually use it in a way that's meaningful. So that's the, that's my kind of long version on I'm kind of out on it now. Maybe if I was teaching a bunch of six-year-olds and it's like curtain cats and it's better to just kind of put an obstacle course down there and, and, and kind of let them go that way. And there's a bit of a self-discovery, but it's a little bit more organized. Because, like I said, you got 26-year-olds out there and it's tough to kind of organize them. That may be a way to organize them. Okay, I might be able to get there on that. But if you got like some 17, 18, 19-year-old players and we got these on the ice? I don't know. I feel like I could use the time better. That's just me.
0: Um. One thing I when I was uh reading into your book was uh the, the Secret Players Summit that had come up. Um how did that all come about? Um and what's it like having, you know, the best players in the world all on the ice together uh going through drills and and what sort of takeaways and learnings did you have from putting on an event like that?
3: Um how it came about was I had read there was like um a Players' Tribune article about uh, an NFL player named Richard Sherman, who I read that he had invited uh, several uh, defensive backs, the best defensive backs in the league, um, to one location where they were at a hotel and they did some, like, extensive film work. And then they went on the field and they taught each other drills. They were like teaching each other, Oh, how do you teach this or what about that or this or that? And they didn't invite a coach. Like it wasn't like we're inviting Richard Sherman. Didn't say who are the top 10 defensive back coaches in the league. I'm going to invite them in. He wanted just the players. And so I had spoken to Patrick Kane about different ways in which we could take our camp to a different level. And I saw this, I said, is there an application here? Like, do you think the guys would would like that if we just turned it over to them and said, "Hey, you guys are some of the best? you're the top one percent of the one percent like i'm i I spend most of my time listening to you anyway, so why don't you just talk amongst each other and I'll just kind of do like the Homer Simpson meme with the bush where he kind of slides <laughs> back like that's what I'm going to do." And so we did it. We just tried. We didn't know what was going to happen. And as it turned out, it was it was unbelievable. It was it was everything that you could imagine that could be good about something like that. In the sense of the level of collaboration, the level of respect given towards each other, the the uh, questions, the insight. The level of also like differences between the way each one of them think was crystal clear and how they approach like two players in the same situation as they think about what they think, what what they're thinking about or the way in which they're approaching it. They approach it totally different. And so now they start sharing these ideas. And then, like I said, I'm standing back like I ask a question and I stand back and let the whole thing go. And it's just fascinating because one, the interesting part also about that is if a top 1% player decides he's going to execute at the highest level, there's really nothing you can do about it. So it's not like, even if you knew what he was going to do, you're still probably not going to be able to do anything about it. They're, they They can just bend the game into their assets to the point in which there's really, like, they can take control of things. So as they talk to each other about how they do all these things and they collaborate, it's just, you know, it's not even like you, you think, okay, well, like, are they trade, like, are they giving away too much? Like, is it something where, you know, is there any nervousness about like, what if I share this with you? Am I giving you, a, am I giving away a competitive advantage? And that really isn't the case because each. Each player is expressing skill differently. And so it's not even like I can steal from you and just apply it myself because we all have different assets and we all have different, like I said, a different way of thinking in terms of how we approach certain situations. So it's more just options and application of skill and an appreciation for the collective genius that's there at the table. It's like nothing you've ever seen before. It's incredible.
1: So Daryl, uh, having worked with such a large swath of, of the most elite players, I'm sure you've gotten a good pulse for what guys uh, you know are going to make it and, and um, you know what guys are going to move into that upper echelon. Are there any players that you've worked with at any level that have kind of really surprised you with how they've improved and uh, the, the level of play or, or status from the, within the NHL that they achieved?
3: Um, yeah, I think like the players that I had, that were really young because I was really young too. So I really didn't, know I was a kid teaching kids. So I don't really, I didn't really know what, I didn't really know the scope or the gravity of what it was of the talent in which I was dealing with. I just knew that they were really good for their age group, but I had really no idea how that projected. And, you know, like I'm certainly not a scout by any stretch of the imagination. So I couldn't project anybody anyways, but, um, uh, I think that one of the interesting parts about how players surprise you is you just don't know how they're going to react when it's the highest amount of pressure and they now have to perform with the highest amount of precision. You just don't know how people are going to react when that situation happens until it happens. You can hypothesize all you like until the kids are there you don't really know. And uh, it's, it's interesting to see how many of them, like, there's very few of them that like let you down. They might stumble at different times, but you can always see that there's something there where you're like, man, like this guy, yeah, he didn't make it happen yet, but it's going to happen. Like you get this feeling of that. There's, it's just not going to be contained. Um, And then the other interesting part is, is that in the NHL, it's incredibly difficult to outperform your situation. So what I mean by that is if you enter the NHL and you're a third line player and you're not playing, of course, any penalty kills or power play situations or any special teams, maybe you're killing penalties or whatever. um, But the role and the type of player and the the level of uh freedom um, to be able to leverage your assets is significantly lower in some of those roles um, than it is in other roles. And so if you're in, in most times, your situation includes who you're playing against and who you're playing with. And there are players that can outperform their situation, but very few, it's a very difficult thing to do. And, I think that that's really surprising when they do, uh, because it's you—you you just know how difficult that really truly is.
1: And I'm just going to bug you with one more player-specific question here. Um, has there been any moment in your teaching, uh, working with these uh, best players in the world, where you were just kind of blown away, where you had to step back and go, "Wow!" Like watching, you know, someone do one specific skill, or just getting on the ice with a guy for the first time. Is there anything that kind of stands out to you?
3: It's it's almost like daily, to be honest with you. Like you hate to you hate to say it like that, but it's true. Like the these people are un believable. Like the capacity to learn and the ability to move their body and and express skill in a poetic way is, is mind blowing. Um, we just did a whole stretch here during this COVID time with Nathan McKinnon. And, uh, we had a chance to spend an, Exorbitant ex- exorbitant amount of time. Normally we would see him for a much shorter period, but because we have all this, it just made it so we had weeks to spend time with them. And it was literally every day, you know, he's doing stuff where you're like, geez, I think this skill could get here. And then he goes right by it. And then you say, Okay, well now he's there. Like, I wonder if he could get here. And then poof, he blows right by that. And then two weeks later you're at a level where you have no idea that that was even possible. Like you're like, so now you're reinventing. You're like, this is way beyond my vision for it. And you talk to him and he, his level of understanding of where it was like, it's are past that now. So now you're in like true innovation mode. Like we're, we're on a path, we're on an idea. We've leveraged your assets. But now it's one plus one equals six now. That's where we're at. And it's just, you get in those situations, happen happened to me, like in this type of situation that I'm describing, that's happened to me five or six times that I can remember in my career where it's just like, I don't know if there's a ceiling here. Like I don't, like all my predispositions of where I thought this thing was going to be able to kind of max out at, like we're way through that. Like it was like, I, I feel silly that I even put a limit on this thing at this point, that kind of stuff, it happens. And when it does, it's truly special. And it's one of those things where you're just, you're just, you're blown away to the point where you're like, I in. I am it's, it's so poetic. Like it's, it's got an art form here that is, that that's what you're witnessing and expression. And then the, the really cool part is a month from now in January or February or whenever we start back up again, he's going to do it. And then he's going to do it in an NHL game. And then you're really like, that's when we're really going, Oh my God, like that time that we spent together, he's going to do it. And the anticipation of that is like, not it's almost like, you know it's like it's like any like thing that you just desperately wanted in your life like i could think about like when you know the day you're going to get married or something like where you're so excited and it's just like thing you're looking you're looking forward to this kind of thing is like that like the anticipation of him expressing this at this level is just uh, it's 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 almost too much sometimes
0: um so i have another question so we're just talking about people with limitless talent let's talk about you know the the regular joes like myself and ryan who have limited talent and limited amount of resources and time uh, between our full-time jobs and other commitments to to improve you know the game we're playing right now you know once a week sort of thing like what's something that guys like us can do either on ice if we've got extra time to just shoot around or something or uh off ice that we can do to help you know keep our game somewhat half decent or or, you know try and improve our game even you know as we move into our 30s and into our 40s
3: i think the most fun things that you can do that i think would give you the most satisfaction and would be something that you could definitely translate and would be like i said it would be a lot of fun for you and you could get pretty quick results so it wouldn't be something where you're like oh my god like i have physical restrictions i got time restrictions i got athletic talent restrictions i got you know the depth of skill that i need like all those restrictions like it's just too much like i'm gonna be banging my head against the wall for months here and i might not even be able to do it rather than go down that type of path pick a player that you that you admire or a skill set that you admire that you just think is awesome. And spend time in your game trying to recreate those situations. So, for example, let's say you you love rush delay, but of course, in men's league, you just don't see that very often. Um, and so, now you get when you get the puck in the neutral zone, just try it. Like try it. Put yourself on the dot line. You know, make the guy think you're going to go inside or go outside. And then just when he turns his feet, you know, turn up and just see what happens. Like those types of patterns of play, I think are really cool to do, you know, or uh, let's say it's something where um, you see like uh, these guys now are the forwards in the NHL are recreating this high three on two where they come up really high in the zone now. So go and do that put yourself in a situation where now you're up by the, up at the point and you're looking to come down and looking for these other situations. I think the more rather than looking to try to add like elite skill, like learning how to change the angle of a shot, which you can do that. It takes a long time. You can do it and you can get a lot of satisfaction out of that. Believe me, you could be out in your garage every night before you go to bed, shooting pucks and trying to find ways to get better. And I, I don't doubt that you could make games. You could also, you know, try to become a better skater. You could hire a power skater. You could do all this stuff. And it could be a lot of fun. You could go in the, go in the gym and work on those things, of course. But it's just so long. Rush delay, you could do that tomorrow. Like, you guys could go on the ice tomorrow, and you could put that in your game. And it would be fun. And so I think looking for those patterns of play and things that are kind of unique that are interesting, that you think are fun, go and try those things, because you're going to get an immediate payoff, which is going to make it really exciting for you. And that'll give you an added fun for the game.
0: Yeah, I really appreciate that answer. Because, you know, maybe when I was younger, you know, trying to continually improve my game and see how far I could push it, I I would have enjoy you know just stick handling in my garage or just shooting pucks on the driveway but unfortunately you know i don't have that time anymore and it's not something i truly enjoy doing with the limited spare time i have so you know hearing that you know thinking about mimicking plays or types of situations you see in in the pro leagues as as, as a good way of doing it i i agree with that i think that's an excellent way to go about it
3: i think you know you got the benefit like there's going to be no back check you know that
0: <laughs> especially for me know,
3: the guy exactly the guys are not going to have great sticks you know they no one's going to try to get in front of a shot no one's trying to hit you at least they shouldn't be if they are you're in the wrong league you should be just out there for a sweat for a beer afterwards and have some good fun stories but you guys watch a lot of hockey You know, you're doing a lot of research unintentionally, whether, whether, whether you believe it or not, like you, whether you're trying to do it or not, you're conducting research every time you watch a game and you see, and you notice whether it's patterns of play or unique things that happen with a player or whatever. And if you stay away from like the physical, you know, gifts, you stay away from those and you just stick to patterns of play, you can do that really quickly. And you can have a lot of fun with it. I mean, even like attacking the middle, like you say, take a guy like Barzell and you say, oh, it's Barzell. He's unbelievable. He attacks the middle. Like he gets in the middle, he draws the 2D, and then he like pitches it to the outside. Like you don't think you can get a puck. There's no back check. Take the middle of the ice in the neutral zone. Cross, put a little like stop a little bit. Let the guys back up. Now you got a teammate. The one guy just went off, but the other guy's there with you. Pass it to him. You just did a Barzell middle delay. You just did it. It's done. You're going to get so much satisfaction from that when you go home. Like you're going to be talking about it for weeks uh, of how enjoyable it was that you were able to take something that guys do at a world-class level and you're able to do it like tomorrow because it's fun. That's what I would do. Um, And it'll save you from the bumps and bruises and it'll save the drywall in your In your garage as well
1: yeah daryl don't let evan fool you the reason he uh doesn't have time to practice isn't because of work or anything else he's uh practicing getting on the fairway consistently
3: (laughs) well there you go there you go another (laughs) Uh, frustrating uh, another
0: frustrating game but at least that's a little more lifelong right now that's my next chapter (laughs)
1: <laughs> if if i can add one more piece of uh, advice to um the the pro here uh one thing that you guys should do as well is uh pick up a copy of belfry hockey strategies to teach the world's best athletes and read it it's a fantastic read we've had the pleasure uh, of reading a copy and we're also going to be giving away a copy to one of our listeners um daryl this was a fantastic conversation um if for the only reason that our other co-host brad is going to absolutely nerd out about it we would love love to have you back on again uh but thank you so much for joining us today
3: i'd love to come on this was great i really appreciate the time and and the interest to come on and to have me on i I really did appreciate anytime we could talk hockey uh, i uh, i'm game so uh please anytime you guys are ready i'm ready
1: That's awesome. Again, folks, Daryl Belfry, read his book, Belfry Hockey. You can find it on Amazon, Triumph Books, uh, your local bookstores, wherever you are. Uh, Check out belfryhockey.com and then follow Daryl on Twitter at Belfry Hockey. Daryl, take care. Until next time. Thank you. And that was our interview with, uh, Daryl Belfry. Like we said, we we're going to be giving away a copy of his book, Belfry Hockey. Um, highly recommend you guys pick up a copy. So, um, yeah, really pumped to have him back on. Aside from just Brad geeking out over talking hockey, um, strategies, training, development and everything like that. Um, it'll be fun to, I hope we can get on the ice with him sometime. We talked about it. Once the world is done ending, we'll, uh, we'll grab a beer and get on the ice and, uh, embarrass ourselves with him
0: yeah maybe if, uh, you will <laughs> if, if <laughs> just sydney crosby and patrick kane are ever looking for some outer shape idiots to just you know just warm bodies you know we're the guys i'm definitely the guy <laughs> i i can't do anything but i will try and they can embarrass me all they want warm Listen.
1: body is right because i put on enough weight during COVID that i'm just always so insulated
2: and overheating Listen, Evan, you ha- you lump me in with the two statements there out of shape and idiot. And I will have you know that I am not out of shape.
0: I tried on my uh, <laughs> my base layers for skiing cuz I need to uh, upgrade a few of them. Not a pretty sight, gentlemen. Let me tell you. It was not good. You know, that that um, whatever that mater- the lycra spandex material is. <laughs> It was holding on for dear life.
1: (laughs) Stretched to its absolute limit. Uh, Like that
2: scene in Spider-Man with the ship.
1: (laughs) 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 Oh, man. Before we get uh, into too much more vivid imagery about uh, Evan's midsection, we're going to jump into Overtime where uh, we're going to start with our Patreon supporters who get their comments read out as our way of saying thank you for supporting the Winged Wheel podcast and allowing us to do cool things uh, like interview some of the best hockey development coaches in the world. Uh, we'll start with Garrett TV who says, Hockey Amigos, uh, an idea for the midweek Patreon exclusive episodes. Uh, construct various roster scenarios like first line makeup, second line makeup, power play one, PK one, etc., etc. Lots of new faces and many combos to look for uh, come training camp or whatever we're calling it also evan did you get the house cheers let's go red wings
0: uh no we went hundred and thirty thousand dollars over asking and still lost <laughs> yes sorry i was
1: i wasn't laughing at evan i'm laughing at how stupid this market is yes it's
0: ridiculous. yeah crystal and i
2: were pre- preparing to put an offer on uh on a place uh this coming tuesday we looked at it yesterday uh the uh Realtor said, What's you going to bid? We're like, Yeah, we'll go 75 over asking. And she very politely basically said, Yeah, don't bother.
0: Move along. Next one. <laughs>
2: La Plata
1: Peak says, in light of what's happening in the NFL right now, I don't see any way around the NHL season happening without some sort of bubble aspect. Also, due to local restrictions in Northern Cali, San Jose won't be able to even get on the ice until December 21st, 2020. Ergo, a start date of uh, January 1st isn't happening. If this season happens, it may be legitimate on its face, but due to all the complications at hand, it will be the least legitimate season in NHL history. It'll be the most interesting uh, for sure. Like, between that and the bubble playoffs, like, yeah, they're going to have to get pretty clever with this one. Uh, Arjun Shanker says, what do you think the organization will do for the 100-year anniversary in 2026? Also, hello to Philip Dina only.
2: Uh, I don't know. It might get weird and miss the playoffs again. <laughs> uh, they might go
1: nuts, like, have a special jersey patch and something at the uh, center ice. They might finally name a
2: captain. Yeah, that's true. Uh, honestly, uh, like... This is, I love the Red Wings with everything as my being, but the one thing I hate about them is how boring this organization is. They are, they are traditional to the absolute core and like the retro reverse Jersey just cemented that for me. So I think we'll see a lot of ceremonies. I think we'll see a lot of pre cool game videos, uh, game videos. I don't see a whole hell of a lot else, honestly, maybe a commemorative plaque. They're going to prove Brad wrong by winning the cup in 2026. That would be all I'd ever want. <laughs> uh,
1: Rob Byram says, Ryan, that was quite the crash today by Grosjean. When I saw it, I was scared that he was dead. Yeah, there was the most horrific crash I've ever seen in Formula One today. A guy was engulfed in flames for more than 20 seconds. He walked away with minor burns. Um, huh. Yeah.
0: I saw that. That was the most interesting thing I've ever seen in F1.
1: Yeah, guy <laughs> almost dying. Neat. Uh, for a car to instantly burst into flames and to see the car split in two and see him climb out was incredible I'm hoping for a season of drafts to survive but completely understand if there isn't this year oh they're still filming onto the wings is there any chance Mo can come over when training camp starts or is it truly an SHL rule that once you start the season you have to finish it
2: Uh, as far as I can tell he has to finish it Um, yeah unless they find
1: some kind of arrangement but by all rights it's looking like they're going to have to finish it Uh, Trevor Pevavar says, Hey boys. So a thought hit me as the podcast grows and gets bigger. It's probably likely that you'll get noticed by uh bigger news slash journalism outlets. How would the podcast change if there was an official Red Wings or Little Caesar? Oh, you, (laughs) he, he tried to get me to say pizza, but not pizza. (laughs) Great work as always and love it every week. Let's go Red Wings. Uh, if that was a genuine question and not just a, uh, trick to get me to say what you wanted me to say, um, we're always very careful about, um, our sponsors, obviously, we love uh, being able to grow the show and, and sponsorship is a big part of that. Um, and any way we can associate with, you know, major organizations or the Red Wings themselves is something that we'd always uh, want to do or consider. But also, like, we are we never want to change our makeup of the show and the the genuineness that we kind of bring forward. So that'll never go away. Rest easy. Yeah, pretty much. Alex Toger says, howdy, gents. Simple question. What's the worst piece of hockey equipment you've used slash hated? the most
2: oh man that's uh, (laughs) a i've tried on and used just about everything in the last year um i went away from synergy
1: sticks for a long time and i came back to them like six years later and i hated what they did to them i really really hated them i like the original like generation of synergy sticks and i had
2: nothing after that so like the reality of my situation is up until a few years ago i was like desperately poor so whatever i got i was just happy if it didn't break (laughs) Um, I mean, if you want to go recent, the new true protective line that just came out is, uh, I'll, I'll specify it. The new true XC nine gloves are horrible, absolutely horrible. You can't even bend the thumb. I have no idea how anybody's using those and they're like almost 200 bucks. Like it's, it's egregious
0: i'm just trying to remember i don't i never update my gear if it wasn't for brad i would probably still have my skates gloves pants from like 13 years ago
2: yeah we really (laughs) did like a head to toe on you last winter didn't I, i
0: i was like i was like a homeless person out there there were like knife wounds in my pants like it was absurd um so i got nothing Everything, everything I have now is new, so it's it's great. I love life.
2: Yeah, you're with that nice blacked out custom flylight that I'm sure you flex everybody on.
0: Beerly. Yes, I'm sure. I'm sure glad I upgraded everything, and I haven't played since March or February of this year.
2: Hey, you could play Wednesday if you want. You just have to go way past your bedtime.
0: Oh, I don't know if I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> and also maybe contract something. Uh, Michael
1: Barry says, with the proposed divisional realignment, do you think the Wings are still favorite for number one pick or do you think New Jersey would be due to their difficult division? Also, if the Wings suck when the SHL season ends, do you want Sider and Grand Rapids for a playoff push?
2: I don't know. Uh, because if Cider keeps playing the way he is in the SHL, he evolves past the AHL. I would much rather see him get his... I don't know, let's just say 15 to 20 games in Detroit at that point, or nine games, depending on what they want to do with this contract.
1: Um, I'll say Detroit's still the favorite, but that's just in terms of standings. In terms of who act- who's actually going to win the pick, it's definitely not going to be Detroit. Um, Lars, the prophet of the towering behemoth, says one of the sport's scariest moments as Grosjean impersonated the Yotes and Sens organizations as he burst into flames today. I was amazed to see him walk away from that. On to hockey, William Eklund has 7 goals, 5 assists, and 16 games in the SHL with a mediocre Jurgarden. Brad had him fifth at his latest prospect ranking for the 2021 draft. I can honestly see him going higher. How about his assist to Holtz? Talk about vision as he waited for the goalie to start turning his head, looking for the puck, and then snap it back to Holtz. Will he be the first Swede picked?
2: It depends on the draft order, and it feels like we've been saying this for... Well, at least the last two drafts for one very specific reason, and this draft is going to follow suit because there's one goalie who's getting top 10 consideration, so it depends where the goalie-needy teams land because I have Eklund very high. I Out of most outlets, I think I'm one of the only—I'm one of very few who has him in the top 10, and a lot of other uh, scouting outlets have Jesper Wallstadt in the top 10. So if it was my board, he'd be the first sweet off, but— I don't know. Actually, is Wallstead Swedish or Finnish? I always get that mixed up. So maybe, probably. We'll go with probably. Yeah, I'll say probably.
1: Uh, Cody Stark says, what do you think is Zadina using his Twitter account the way he has been? Nice that he gives us updates after he left the ice that one game. Some of the things he likes to retweets are a bit different, but only because no one else really does it who's in the same position. Not complaining, just want your thoughts.
2: I think it's fun. I, I love it. Well, he responded to, he follows us on Twitter now, so immediately he's my favorite account on Twitter. Oh, I don't know. I, I, it's the one thing I, I think we have always criticized the Red Wings for, um, we, we haven't brought it up in a long time. To be fair, they don't interact with the fans all that much. You look at the players for as much as we love the players. They don't have a social media presence. So the fact that Zadina is out there on Twitch, on Twitter, interacting with people, I love it. I want all professional athletes to do that way more. So the fact that Zadina is doing it it, it, it automatically makes him one of my favorite Red Wings. And honestly, from a business standpoint, and you know, this guy wants to make a living, it's smart. Get yourself out there. You are a brand. Build your brand. Like it's, it's crazy to me. More players don't do it. Um, Kindle and a turd
1: says, while I reflect, while I reflect during the holiday season, I'm thankful that Eisman got all of our most important prospects into the the shl and other active leagues uh there's still a hole within me that only watching the red wings can fill i can still at least get a half chub from watching cider raymond and the fellows play overseas uh vincent says hey guys do you know of any way to watch ncaa hockey i've heard that kent johnson and owen power have been doing well and i want to watch some form of hockey keep up the good work
2: i don't have any good answers for you unfortunately (laughs)
1: Yeah, you might have to revert to the uh, Pirates life on the internet, but I'm not sure what your local... I don't know what local broadcasting looks like for NCAA hockey. We don't really get it where we are, Where we are, but um, maybe someone who's listening can uh, chime in on this one. Uh, Kyle says, imagine this world. Tatar and Nyquist both carry the torch of Datsuk and Hank. Eisenman took over GM five years ago. We got super lucky with the draft lottery. Abby didn't age like a block of cheese. Hey, blocks of cheese often age well. Uh, no bad contracts. Zadino was immediately a 40-goal scorer, like some scouts thought. Uh, Rasmussen, a second-line center, and Valeno, already complete machine at third-line center. Cider wins a Calder, and Raymond follows the year after. Okay, well, now I'm sad. <laughs> Evans Bingo Cards says, What do you guys think about the possibility of a bunch of new first-time sports owners emerging at the tail end of the pandemic? A bunch of teams are losing money, and I'm sure the super-wealthy owners... Evan, do you care to chime in? Uh, aren't thrilled with that situation. Could you see a bunch of first-time owners come forward who maybe haven't lost as much in their business endeavors over the past year? Would that make for a better or worse sport going forward? Also, if I buy a winged wheel podcast polo, will I golf as good as Evan?
0: Uh, you were, I was promised a winged wheel podcast polo. Where is I it? Have,
1: it's sitting in my room. I, we haven't seen each other because there's a pandemic.
0: I can give you my mailing address.
1: Yeah, I'm not mailing it to you, buddy. <laughs> I'll drop it on your front step.
2: I forget what the non-golfing question was. Yeah, me too. Bunch of new first-time owners. Oh, probably not. Business owners are smart. They don't sell during the middle of a recession or a depression or whatever you want to call it. They know it'll bounce back. There might be some who get hurt severely to the point they don't have a choice, but it'll be very few. And whether or not it's good or bad... It depends on the owners, who's leaving, who's coming in. I could say yes, I could say no. If Eugene Melnick sells the Senators, yeah, it's an automatic upgrade. If, uh, I don't know, pick a good owner here, the Illiches sell the Red Wings, it's probably not going to be good. So yeah, it it's heavily dependent
1: uh jordan phil says i finally did it i became a patron after listening for years and years and i'm here to make you answer for your bad takes from years past well jordan thank you so much for supporting the show uh he says last episode or two episodes ago Brad, you mentioned alexi marchenko and how you're glad you didn't have to talk about him anymore glad you did because i remember you talking about the state of our decor a number of years ago and here's a paraphrase you know, top pairing of DeKaiser and Cronwall, then we have Willette and Marchenko as a really solid third and fourth defenseman pairing. And with two of Quincy Smith Kindle as your five to seven defenseman, we have a pretty darn good defense. I know how much you love us giving you grief about this kind of stuff, so
2: please go into a 15-minute deep dive about the topic. Oh boy. Remember when Ouellette was a second-round pick and we really thought we had <laughs> something there? When he played for Team uh, pretty big role for team canada and we really thought we had something there and he finished his q career and we really thought we had something there oops (laughs) this is why you need lots of draft picks because most of them don't pan out you need all of them so many and pray that like 40 percent of the top three round pick hits why do you why are you guys so cynical because we've been
1: burned before
2: (laughs) yeah (laughs) uh hockey virgin says hey
1: guys during this pandemic new patron i believe during this pandemic uh, due to there no being no sports i finally conceded and decided to become an all detroit sports fan along with the sadness that comes with it Hey, no one can ever blame you for being a fair weather fan during my search i found your podcast and may i say man the dedication you guys have like my title says i'm a complete virgin to this sport so can you describe the player on the red wings uh To any football player. So are we comparing Red Wings players to football players?
2: Okay. Uh, Um, Dylan Larkin is absolutely Matt Stafford. Really, really good. Everybody in Detroit knows how good he is. But outside of Detroit does not get the respect he deserves. Mantha is like a uh, Kenny Galladay. Like really good. He is absolutely Kenny Galladay. He is one of the best players in the game at his position when he's not hurt. Yep.
1: And uh works really well with the best player on the team, which is Matt Stafford slash Dylan Larkin. Dylan Larkin's young, by the way, so just he's not like uh he doesn't have limited years left like Matt Stafford might. But yeah, it's uh he really needs like it's Stafford and uh Galladay and a couple other pieces. Uh let me see who's Bertuzzi. Um maybe like a Marvin Jones, I'm not sure. He's product like really productive, like works hard. Um not
2: like Kenny Galladay level talent, but still really like a good player who gets the work done. Like, isn't they? Okay, I'm not going to use a Lions analogy for this. I'm going to go back a few years. Tyler Bertuzzi is a player who fits the system perfectly and works really well with the players around him, but on his own isn't enough to be a superstar. He's Wes Welker i was thinking like wes welker darren sproles that kind of thing
1: yeah does well in that system yeah um and beyond that i think we're it's going to start to be a stretch because there's no lucas raymond is there a lucas raymond in the lions organization in the lions
0: no
2: yeah absolutely not
0: it's it's hard
2: imagine yeah. if jack fokuda played offense and wasn't disappointing jonathan bernie is matt prater yep all reliable yeah uh that's a fun one cameron swick says
1: ever since i was a kid and got nhl 03 for the ps2 i love playing franchise mode and taking a bad team and making them good uh i found one of the big things lacking in the current games is record books like they have in 2k record books in nhl 21 are garbage you can only see top five of each stat it's glitchy saying things like a 27 year old binnington has played 1800 games oh man that's a lot of wear and tear uh really hope that 2k starts making nhl games again because ea is garbage that is all uh one, kenobi says i'm going to go out on a limb and defend crystal's hot take i don't think it'll happen either but if there was any season the wings could go on a pdo bender like the 17 18 devils it'd be in a shortened year again not likely but in a shortened season a hot start goes
2: along uh, a lot further than it usually does
1: Uh, that's a fair point
2: good goaltending and a very hot top line can win you games as we saw last year because that was the red wings only Recipe to recipe to win any games. So if they get any help from the depth, we, we know those two things can carry you again, not betting on it, but yeah, especially for like 60 plus games, but yeah, yeah, you're not wrong.
1: Uh, Sup guy, or Joe D'Elia says, Sup, guys, I'll keep it short and sweet. Pick a Red Wing, former or current, to fight Jake Paul. I'm deducting any points. I'm deducting, deducting points if any of you say Proby, McCarty, uh, Joe Kocher, how, or Howe, uh, or, sorry, Gordy Howe.
2: Thanks.
0: Well, how hmm. can we not? Jordan Tutu. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Ooh, that's,
2: that's a good, a good one. one. Aaron Downey. Either of those guys, yeah. Just absolute maniacs to fight. No, Uh, no, no. We got to count lead up and hype to the fight in this equation. We need someone who would actually kick the shit out of Jake Paul, but also be stupidly entertaining. Sean Avery. (laughs) What's Sean Avery? Uh, Yeah, I guess. Sean Avery was an actual fighter in yeah, the yeah. National Hockey League. I don't care what you think of Sean Avery. If you can throw bombs in the NHL even at a 50% win rate, you're an elite fighter in general in the world. Yeah.
1: Um AJ Voss says my Red Wings hot take isn't related to this year, but I think Tyler Wright did more damage to this team than anyone else in our front office. Say what you will about some of our trades and signings, but there's no need to make the, those panic moves if we would have drafted better
2: yeah that patreon exclusive where we rated the last 10 drafts was an eye opener and not in a good way
1: (laughs) uh stay fresh cheese bags of fournier company says do 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 Doobie dooby doo, wap bow wow! Says it's time for North America's favorite game—a bailout, a cap-strapped team. Today's contestant, the lightning uh, breeze. Bois, his, his feet resting up on the desk, halfway through a box of victory cigars, comes to the realization that while the parade continues, uh, he must get to work at getting his team out of the cap. You're the GM of Detroit. Your phone rings bo uh Juju Bree calls to offer you RFA Anthony Sorelli do you bail him out for what or counter offer for a different player
2: um Anthony Sorelli would be fantastic and given that he's screwed my offer wouldn't be that big like I know what Anthony Sorelli is worth and it's a lot my offer would start and stop at a second round pick. <laughs> like, all right, you want out of it. Here you go. I'm you giving you an S- asset to help you, but I'm not giving you much. Would you take Sorelli and Johnson for a seventh?
1: Absolutely. Are you kidding? I'm right, just making sure. Uh, also with Crystal, don't think an eighth seed is that far-fetched. I think they're in the mix until the trade deadline, and from there it depends on what returns Eisenman gets. Not saying it's a lock, but I wouldn't be surprised. Stay fresh cheese bags. Evan Pardo says, hello fellas, is there any way to watch your guys' 2019 draft live stream? Need to see the famous cider pick reaction. I thought I made that public. Oh well. If I I thought I did. I'll clip. if I haven't, I'll clip the exact reaction so you guys can see it. Uh the Caminator says tried to think of a good question for this week, but couldn't. Instead, want to thank you for the podcast and all the entertainment that it's brought. Also, my birthday is tomorrow, and I'm, I'm glad I'm not old yet. Thanks for all that you guys give us. The Caminator. Happy birthday, pal. And, yeah, uh, happy wraps birthday. And up another then. trip around the sun.
2: Thanks for rubbing it in.
1: <laughs> uh, first name, bunch of numbers. It says Since the league is trying to expedite the season, we could possibly be as far out from the 2021 draft as we were at the stoppage from the 2020 draft. Seeing as co- how COVID is still here and has become a giant obstacle for scouting, how forgiving do you think future you will be if the wings whiff on this year's draft class?
2: Not very, but but definitely a little bit. Um, I mean, we do have a f- damn near a full year under our belt of all these guys that they're 16 year old years. And this is a very heavy draft for overagers. So we've seen two years of Owen power that are relevant two years of Ken Johnson, two years of Luke Hughes, two years of Matt Beniers. Like it, for whatever reason, this is an overage heavy draft, which is, I guess the one silver lining to the world as it is. Um, but yeah, if they take a swing on a, a Brant Clark or a Carson Lambos who are our true 03 birthdays and it doesn't work out, I mean, it depends how bad they whiff. If if you take Brant Clark first overall and he's a productive NHLer, let's say he's the 10th best player out of this draft. Yeah, it's disappointing, but I'm not going to crucify them for it. Now, if they take Brant Clark first overall and the dude plays like three seasons in the NHL and then bust, okay, yeah, no, that's... You should have seen that one coming. So it's all to scale, I guess, is my answer.
1: My expectations will be for their first and second round picks. And then beyond that, I'll be pretty forgiving. All right. Not a ton of uh, Reddit questions, so we're going to actually wrap up this episode. Thank you all for tuning in. Apologies again for not having the full um, our faces on YouTube, uh, but I promise you none of us look good today. Uh, So for now, we're going to finish by thanking all of our listeners, our name level sponsors, Arjun Shanker, uh, Kyle R.A., uh, Hi Brad. Uh, Zach Spring, Citizen High Five, Cody Stark, Greech, Jeremiah Adobo, Jake Kiefer, Ryan Hanna-Brand, Wings and Pizza, Andrew Bohan, Scott Martin, Jacob Turner, Matt McKay, Craig Kibble, Brandon M, Matthew M. Rice, Luke Johnson, Kaylin Wood, Hassam Al-Kassem, uh, Charlie Elkins, Han Lee, Josh Yelton, another former junior goalie turned golfer, Trevor Pevavar, Evans Bingo Card, Ashley Van Conant, Connor Leighton, Danny Jr., Matthew Keeler, Simon Anderson, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags of Fournier Company, Antonio Gracias, John Evans, Quaz, and Stan Olson. Cheers, everyone. Take care. And for patrons, we'll see you midweek.
0: Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at wingedwheelpod. And of course, the hosts at at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.